for every business challenge, there's a solution. The Big Small Business Show is made possible by MTN Business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today. On the menu today, so this really comes down to a big umbrella of marketing, doesn't it? And the, but the two things, the so what, the two nuances for me to focus on is segmentation, mm. and the second is product development. Given the nature of entrepreneurs, you got to take a bet on something you think will work and follow that path. As a CEO, you lack credibility if you keep changing your mind, not just in here, but your strategy floats from one area to the other all the time. These apps, and I'm glad something like this won, because these actually have an ability to actually really change people's lives uh, in South Africa and across the, the globe. Hello and welcome to the Big Small Business Show. On the show, we support entrepreneurs with uh, issues that they might be having, with growth issues they might be having, with people issues that they may, might be having. I suppose effectively we help people with issues here on the show. <laughs> but this is now our slot where we work with entrepreneurs with a particular issue. And uh, we have two panelists with me today. It's our panel. And I have uh, my regular uh, Kumaran Padiachi, who is our finance guru. Welcome, Kumaran. How's it? And we have our brand new Tlingiwe with us, who is our marketing guru. Welcome. Thank you. All right. Now, our guests today in studio are Jono Lee Wright and Ashley Cotson. They are partners at Action Sports South Africa. 24 arenas countrywide offers people the opportunity to participate in their sport of choice, independent of the weather or season. Sounds like an advert that. Let's have a look. <laughs> Action Sports SA is an indoor action sports provider that offers multiple sporting activities for people of different ages at any level of their competitive edge. Directors and part co-owners of Action Sports SA, John O'Leafright, and his partner, Ashley Cotson, explain where their love for action sports started. My background is really cricket coaching and being involved in, in youth development and grassroots development from the youngsters as young as five right up to under 19s. I'm involved with Cricket South Africa on an under 19 level. And I've been involved coaching in this arena as one of our coaching facilities for, the, for 10 to 12 years. And when the arena, when this particular arena um, went on sale, I thought, let me have some fun and, and take it over. So the initial investment was in the Santon Action Sports Arena specifically. And then the great opportunity to take over um, all the arenas and become a, the franchisor of the, of the group became an opportunity in October last year, which we grabbed with both hands. So Action Sports really, the way we define it, is a health and wellness business. So this kind of environment gets people opportunities still to play a sport they love, still to compete in an area where they feel competitive and passionate. We want these to be seen as spaces where people can come, socialize, exercise, kind of sitting on the cusp of what we would call sportainment. The company's biggest source of clientele has been word of mouth, with 135,000 players playing across various arenas every month. So generally word of mouth is a very big part of this business because if you've come into these arenas and you've experienced 
a real great session and you've sat afterwards and socialized with your friends, you'll generally go out and, and tell your friends about it. Um, retention's a very key part of our business, so we want our same customers to keep coming back. I heard it from a friend who played um, action sports for quite some time and she said, look to me, I've, I see you no longer playing outdoor, can you come and join us in our action sports? Little did I know what action sports was. And I got here, the adrenaline just got me going and I loved it ever since. Action Sports SA has been in operation for 28 years and has since grown to 24 arenas nationwide and another to be built in 2019. The company has 1,200 employees with an annual turnover of 150 million across the group. I've been working for Action Sports for six years now. I do game confirmations, making sure that all games run smoothly and marketing, trying to bring new business in the company. This business is different because I don't get to cancel a game because it's raining. We run throughout the year. It's a family environment and it's 100% safe for kids, adults, all ages. The company has seen exponential growth over the years, but not without challenges. With constant franchising opportunities on the rise, Jono expresses some of the difficulty in managing the growth of staff and how the company can effectively get more players in the arenas. I think the business challenges that we have is that the overheads in these kind of businesses are pretty high because it's an enclosed indoor facility, so rental is probably one of our biggest expenses and obviously staff and you need a fair complement of staff to be able to run a facility like this from the maintenance to the bookings to the actual execution of the matches so it really is almost seven businesses in one I think the assistance that we would like from the panel is one their advice on recruiting um, more teams and attracting more people to these arenas no matter where they're sitting I'd like us to have more activity in the arenas more often and what I mean by that is I'd like these arenas to switch on at 5 in the morning where we had yoga and pilates and mums and tots uh, gym classes and I want to see more activity and more legs on course for all our arenas. Well as you heard uh, Ashley and Jono want us to talk about uh, how to actually get new clients how to fill up the arenas during the day because most of the activities take place late in the afternoon and evenings. They also want to be talking about the fact that some of the arenas only operate for four days out of the, the uh, week and some are actually at full capacity at seven. How do you move an arena from four days to seven days? And finally, we heard about retention and how do we retain our clients, how do we retain our teams uh, at the arenas? Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks. All right, let's uh, start with uh, you, Jono. Um, <coughs> what percentage of your new clients come from word of mouth and what percentage come from um, advertising or some form of marketing, external marketing? Yeah, Lorna, it's one of our biggest challenges to actually quantify how much of that comes from advertising or marketing and how much comes from word of mouth. To be honest, I reckon 90% of our Business and new business is word of mouth marketing, no question. So when somebody actually joins your calls to say, I want to participate as a team, is there any questionnaire that's asking them how they heard of you? No, so typically they'll phone an arena that's based in their area, whether it be at Sandton or Fourways or, or whatever arenas in their space, and they'll contact the arena, 
let them know what kind of sport they're interested in because obviously the action sports brand involves many different sports yeah. from cricket to netball to soccer to hockey etc so they'll be obviously interested in a specific code of sports they'll phone in the arena find out what leagues are available and find out if they're able to join that league and generally you need to join a league with a team so what we find often is that it might be me that phones the arena i don't have a team but i'm very keen and the arena may find it difficult to place a individual person into a team because generally teams are entered um, as teams which is is quite a, quite tricky Quickly, Ashley, from, from uh, why do you lose a client? Why would a team leave? So generally, it's about an experience that you have in the arena. So, so if they have a negative experience, maybe a refereeing issue, maybe there's, there's a challenge within the team to get organizational commitment together. So, so generally, if the experience isn't up to speed, I think generally we find that the clients don't return. Well, that's uh, it for our first segment. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue with more questions for Jonah and Ashley. This is the Big Small Business Show, and our guests in studio today are Jono Leaf Wright and Ashley Cotton from Action Sports South Africa. Before the break, we were just getting a sense of uh, how they get their clients and uh, why they might leave. Going to move over to you, Kumar. Uh, Jono, Ashley, do you do do you have any insights about your customer base? Is there a CRM? Do you capture their details? Do you ask them any questionnaires, or just the guy calls books? That's it. So I think, I think currently we're not doing enough around kind What of, are you doing though? We're not, currently we're not mining the data enough. So we have names, we have telephone numbers, we have email addresses, and that's, we have male or female. That's it? That's mm. it. And tell me, is there age group you don't know? Yes, that we know. So uh, the, the bulk of our audience is between 22 and 28 years old. 22 and 28 years old. And uh, are those are the ones that are also with high retention? Correct. And female, because uh, that clip showed a lot of, so is it female, male, what is the Currently about a 55% female skew. So we, we have a high growth around female participants in well, the arenas. Why do you think that is? Well, actually, netball's really grown tremendously. And um, what we found is there's a huge amount of girls who want to exercise and women who want to stay fit and healthy. And when they're using wearable technology and monitoring, they're seeing that they're burning more calories playing action sport than they would be standing on a treadmill or alone at the gym. And once they've come in, what is your touch points, uh, communication points with them thereafter? Is it all on them to call you back or do you... We, we generally email. have really good uh, follow-up from an email perspective where we will drop random emails to different clients asking them what was the experience like, what was, how did it go last night, is there something we can improve. So we certainly are doing some techniques or using some techniques to try and feel that the clients are feeling some kind of love from us as head office. Mm. Yeah, there is a survey that goes directly after every booking to a client, uh, which they can f give us feedback on the particular experience they had in the arena the previous day. Email or uh, WhatsApp? Email. Email. Mm. Okay. And lastly, do you have a social media type uh, page? <coughs> 
Facebook or something? Yes, yes. So, so we currently are spending a lot of energy restructuring our digital platforms. We think that's a big opportunity for us to grow the business. Mm. Given the number of people that we have across the arenas, we think that kind of our infrastructure around and our architecture around our technology needs to improve. Thank you. I just need to understand that to, to join the arena, do I only, can I only join if there is a league going on or can it also just be individual? So there's a lot of socials that happen within these arenas. So you get a bunch of friends together. You want to go and have a bit of a social action netball game or action cricket game. You phone in, you make the booking, and then you go and play. So you don't have to be a part of a league. Mm -hmm. Generally, leagues, they're three seasons a year mm -hmm. in the various different arenas that run for about 15 weeks each. But, but no individuals. So I can't just pitch I up. I can't just No, no. Oh. So that's what I was saying in that from a booking, we, we often get calls of individuals saying, I want to play netball. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, unless you have a team of another six girls to play with you, or mixed because there's mixed netball and cricket, etc., yeah. you can't really join unless you have a team. Do you think that location matters uh, with your business? Location as in? Where it's positioned. Like where you've got that scent and like where it is. Yeah, so one of the interesting insights that we're looking into at the moment is, is the distance between your arena and where you work and the difference, distance between the arena and where you live. Mm. And it's quite interesting. So if we took Santon as an example, we find most of our clients work near the arena but live nowhere near it. So that we find if we look at its spikes in sales from... Monday to Thursday, the place is really busy, but from Friday to Sunday, very low activity. Where if we look at Hill Fox or other outlying arenas, we have a lot more people who live closer to those arenas. We have a lot more weekend activity. Mm. So coming back to the point around understanding our data more and, and creating business intelligence out of that, that's something we're really starting to focus on at the moment. More, more clarifying questions from you? No, I'm good. For, for me, I just coming back to what has worked and what in the past in terms of what you you speak about the fact that from you know morning to five o'clock there's generally it's empty hmm. is it always empty or do have there been other types of activity so you get a lot of corporate bookings a lot of functions team building activities that Sport, sports wise not to do a presentation no no sport okay. so, so companies will come and book their arena out for the day and have interdepartmental little fun tournaments, et cetera, many World Cups, where you got the tax department versus legal, et cetera. So we get a lot of those bookings across the group. Yeah. Um, but generally, unless those bookings are taking place, there are some arenas that do do the CrossFits of the world and the moms and tots of the world, but it's, it's not across the whole group because obviously every owner of the, of the various arenas runs their own setup. Yeah. Um, but as Ash says, many arenas aren't filling that dead time. And, and what are uh, schools? Uh, have you got any schools participating during the day? Yes, yeah, so if, you, if you take Cape Town as an example, during the, the drought now, yeah. the, center, the, the arenas in both uh, Brackenfeld and Montague were absolutely packed yeah. because the schools needed facilities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key thing about these arenas that we need to understand more is that we have real estate. It's covered, it's safe and secure, yeah. it's not weather dependent. Yeah. So there's an ability to get schools to use it more often, uh, which helps them in a way they don't have to do as much field maintenance there's much more um, activity that they can come in and do. So we're starting to see more schools wanting to use the arenas and hire the space to do afternoon training. And what about private coaches? You now we've interviewed on the show, uh, I think, two sets of guys that were doing soccer coaching, privateers, not, not linked to kids, but not linked to the school. And they were always trying to find 
venues. Yeah, so that, that's an interesting thing because currently is one of our big strategic pillars that we're working on at the moment is that we've got this real estate and we've got a lot of coaches out there that need the real estate. So there's an opportunity to marry the two. Yeah. We, we've taken a strategic decision at board level that we believe we should own that in-house. So we're creating our own program, which we actually roll out this week as, as a pilot called Master of Skill, where we believe we've got enough clientele. We have 135,000 adults that work through our arenas on a monthly basis. All of those clients have kids. So we want those kids to start coming in activities in the afternoon. So Master of Skill will be hosted in soccer, netball, and cricket. And we think that's a perfect way in the afternoon to start to fill the dead time. You mentioned something. I'm really Last sorry. Question. You mentioned something earlier that the perception is that you know um, some of your consumers think that you just go there, drink, and and, and watch sport. How did that come about? Why? So, so historically, the arenas we've only taken over in the last sort of eighteen months. But historically, that's what action sports has really been about: um, going there, having a beer before you actually play the sports. So sport was always a secondary aspect. And obviously with South Africa moving more into the wellness space, mm -hmm. we feel that uh, we want to change that perception of the group, which we are starting to do really well. And um, obviously with everyone's focus more on wellness and a healthy lifestyle, yeah. we, we want to get the arenas to that space. Well, uh, that's uh, all we've got time for for part two. We'll be right back straight after this with our summaries. This is the Big Small Business Show, and our guests in studio today are John Leaf Wright and Ashley Cotton from Action Sports South Africa. Before the break, we were hounding them with questions around how they get their clients, how they market, what are the different types of clients that they have. And now it's time for our summaries. I'm going to start with you, Kumara. All right. What comes to mind, you know, if I look at your challenge, you want, you have some dead time, you have this real estate, you have the dead time, and uh, you have a retention issue. So this really comes down to a big umbrella of marketing, doesn't it? And the, but the two things, the so what, the two nuances for me to focus on is segmentation mm. and the second is product development. Mm. I'm going to come to that second one just now. But segmentation is knowing about the different buckets or categories of people. Like is it the age groups, females is one thing, but we need to go deeper than that. Is it, is it what is, there's always an eager bunny that puts their hand up and says, hey, we should do this. What is unique about that eager bunny? Because you know, to develop the team and hold it together, you need the right eager bunnies. Mm -hmm. So it's the, for me, it's the segmentation around that eager bunny, not so much the team, because they're the glue that pulls us together. Mm -hmm. And so this requires you to capture as much information and data upfront. The more nuances you capture, the more insight you have around the segmentation and what makes them tick. And to the extent we can know what makes that segments tick, then we know how to attract those types of segments, the ones that will retain and all those types of things. So yes, the technology and the data can are uh, tools to, to maximize that, but it, I would say capturing the right type of, and capture as much as possible in the segmentation. And then the ongoing communication from them, right? It needs to be segmented as well. I don't think you should communicate with your whole entire base in the same way. The general team should be one type of communication and the eager bunnies should be something different. Yeah. The product packaging and the product development for me is you talked about this uh, Masters for Skill or something like that. That's an example of product development, of how you can take certain things, package it with a brand name, package the, 
the offering. And in so doing, you can either use that to build retention or to fill up your dead slots, uh, whether it be days or hours. So the, I would encourage you to do more on product development. I like the idea of this Masters for Skill. Thank you. I generally think, I think your idea, it's completely fantastic. And um, I was just listening to you when you spoke about your, um, your consumer, that it's mostly skewed um, along females and, you know, and I'm just wondering if, you know, you cannot consider doing some of those individual packages, you know, where they don't necessarily have to be, you know, part of a league or part of a team but they can still make, you know, bookings maybe with the private coaches like, like you mentioned um, earlier and then you can just combine that into, into, into one. And also, um, you've managed to, I think, to establish quite, quite an extensive um, database, you know, and, and, and I think that maybe with detailed technology and, you know, what we have in the market right now, which is fairly affordable, especially if you go the, the digital route, you know, there is, there could be a direction for you once you've nailed it and segmented your, your market to the core. So from, from me, um, Ashley, Jono, um, five points from, from our point of view. I think upfront to understand your client, and I'm going to echo quite a bit of what Kumara says here, is, is the questionnaire upfront, I think is a big part of how you'll get your market intelligence and specifically in my opinion is where they heard about you so if word of mouth happens to represent 80 percent or 90 percent of your of the, of the clients that's wonderful from one perspective but it's not a scalable thing for me actually i would then from a from a, a strategic point of view target something that's maybe a little bit weird but to make sure that only 30% of your, your new clients come from word of mouth and 70% come from direct marketing because then you learn how to control the marketing. For now, it's almost be, be, been, uh, it makes you a little bit marketing lazy because it, it's, it's a very sexy product, it's fun, etc. It's got all the benefits. So you, you've been lackadaisical around how you actually strategically marketing the, the business. So set a target for 30%, no more than 30% of new clients coming in from um, word of mouth. Number two, on the retention side, if the guys are breaking up because of internal politics, etc., perhaps put together a guide on a, a little booklet on how to keep a team together or how best to manage your team and actually start working with the, the people who are the managers of these teams in terms of sharing best practice in terms of how do you keep the team together for longer, more successful, etc. And that's part of the value add that you, that you provide. The third thing, which I think Kumaran also touched on uh, earlier, but I don't think it was in his summary, was around the fact that you, you, your touch points need to be systemized yeah. as to exactly when you're touching them. It's uh, from a questionnaire is point number one. Point number two is through an email. Point number three is we do this. And more, I agree with Kumar, and, and that's a nuance to the type of client there, there is. I want to give you some insight number four, point number four and some of the categories that I think that you should market differently. You've, you mentioned corporates. I think that, once again, if there's a strategy around corporates, 
Um, I think you could work from a social media point of view and different angles in, into there. And even from, from our perspective, knocking on doors to the corporates around you, actually going to, to visit them and giving them free, you know, free uh, access for a month to see how it works and help them to set up their leagues. Number two is schools. I think that you're missing a trick there. It's not just a Western Cape, but there are many smaller schools without grounds that you can look for where, where they're looking for these facilities and maybe they're just not thinking about it in the right way. And once again, that's a knock on door situation. Number three, I think the whole things like yoga, Pilates, all those things, maybe not Pilates because it requires equipment, but that kind of uh, environment is a big opportunity for daytime. And that moms and tots, don't underestimate it. I remember when I had little kids, they, you know, they're very, very much in these cramped little spaces and you were hoping, you, as a parent, I was hoping for a little bit more space. <laughs> and you've got that, you've got space. So those are four areas I'd look for. And the last point for me is what I've been missing here is the benefits. You touch on them, but I feel like you'd like to, you just curse over them. The health aspect, the fun aspect, the burning calories aspect. I, to me, that's, I, sh I would drive the benefits mm. far the health benefits, the fun benefits, the camaraderie benefits, it needs to be a big part of how you position uh, your, your products. Uh, and it would even be in the positioning that Commander was speaking about that there's in your product development, there's product development around is, these separate segments. For example, health, these are the better ones for you. Camaraderie, these are the better ones for you. Um, fun, these are the better ones for you. And develop products along those lines. So I hope uh, those uh, insights uh, might help. Um, I'm sure you've thought about 99% uh, of them, uh, but uh, perhaps it'll just crystallize more uh, the emphasis on actually putting them into some strategic plan. Please stay tuned to see what's coming up after the break. We'll be right back. I battle to actually manage that balance as a CEO. How do you do it? This is the Big Small Business Show and this is our leadership slot. Today we have Lee Nike, he's the CEO of TransUnion Africa and he's been talking to us over the last couple of months about leadership and his view. Now in one of those interviews he spoke about a concept which completely resonated with me and that is about the fact that you have to be careful in bringing in too many ideas into a business because if you do, you can actually break the business. I know this is something that I personally have uh, struggled with, this idea of what is the balance. And let's talk about that because my view is that, or my experience of, of this is that if I bring in too many ideas, I break the business. Sure. Okay? And if I bring in too few ideas, the business dies because it becomes irrelevant. And I battle to actually manage that balance as a CEO. How do you do it? Well, I think it's an ongoing effort to create balance for ourselves as leaders. I think there's almost an inherent characteristic in our entrepreneurs to want to disrupt things. Yeah. And it may be good to be disruptive in your thinking, but how that translates into orders or instructions is different. One of the concepts I learned growing up was a concept called buffering. And part of what you do is you protect your entire organization from political or strategic influence and sometimes from yourself. 
right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I've learned to do is almost to create a container for these ideas and start to introduce them in a way that makes sense. For example, any organization can handle a certain amount of demand relative to their supply at any point in time. I'm not the owner of demand. I'm not even allowed to be part of the demand process, right? So the ideas that make sense to me must make sense to a broader group of people that are independent and objective. I think it's very easy, Alon, for an entrepreneur to walk in and say, here's my idea, I'm right, go on and do it. I've become a servant to a process that says what is right for the business. So we have very, very clear criteria as to what we do, what we don't do. And ultimately, we are focused on a vision for the business. There are four or five things we want to do as an organization. And we always ask ourselves, how does it contribute to that vision? How does it contribute to that outcome? Is it distracting us? And if it is, we make some hard calls. So it's an important thing to create criteria as to how you work as an organization. You are one element in leadership. Leadership is not just yourself. Let's now move to the, from, let's call it the disruptive ideas, the big ideas, and maybe soften that around this word called strategy. I see very often with uh, particularly small businesses who are, let's say, learning how to use strategy, you know, that 2018, this is our strategy, okay? And there's a big uh, uh, a song and dance at the beginning of the year about strategy, and then 2019, it's a new strategy. And literally, it's a brand new strategy. And every year, there's this big show that goes on, big launch to the business, and then it's brand new. And another school of thought is that the 2018 to 2019, it does not necessarily have to be this radical change from one to the other. You don't have to bring new. You can just tap it to the left or tap it to the right. And the other concept which I want you to comment on is the concept of a living strategy. The fact that strategy is not an annual event and that it's something that is continuously adjusting. Or am I wrong completely? Well, I think it is continually adjusting. As part of my organization, we have a dedicated group of people that focus on what we call the rolling three-year strategy. So we have a three-year plan which we create at a central level and cascades per region. And as I've mentioned previously, I look after all our businesses in Africa. So we set up a strategy at the start of 2018 that carries us three years forward. And now as we get into the latter part of the year, we'll start to tweak the strategy for the next three years. I use the word tweak intentionally because mm. the strategy is currently good enough we rather want to spend time asking, if I tweak anything, would it give me substantive difference going into 19, and if not in 19, in the subsequent years? Some CEOs talk about a horizon one, horizon two, and a horizon three, referring to waves of change. Um, I'd rather go back and maybe talk about some of the biggest leaders in the world, whether it's an Elon Musk or a Mark Zuckerberg, or even BMW, they have a singular view as to who they want to be. And when they close their eyes or they put up a mural on the wall, whether it's having a picture of Mars, right, plastered all over your wall, which is what drives you every day to work, or just making a difference to consumers, these are things that drive us. That singular vision you've got to subscribe to and feel. And when you start to do that, then your multi-year strategy, which it is tweaked all the time, will actually change as well. The other misconception that I want to clear up as well is that a strategy does not need to cover the how. 
in a, you know, in a detailed level as to how you do things. We talk about the what versus how. So what is it you want to be? What are the broad strokes of how you'll get there? And as you talk about the continual refinement, these are these things that you do in between large, broad changes to your three-year planning, right? You figure out something you, you, you picked up a year ago, and given that point in time, you may tweak it, you may change it, and you're allowed to make these changes. Your point about starting from scratch every single year is surely failure waiting to happen, mm. right? It, it puts your business into a random place and it forces you to change your business and your operating model way too often. Given the nature of entrepreneurs, you gotta take a bet on something you think will work and follow that path. As a CEO, you lack credibility if you keep changing your mind, not just in here, but your strategy floats from one area to the other all the time. Well, we took a bet on having you on the show and that bet paid off. We've uh, learned a huge amount from you, Lee. And uh, for, for me, I think um, what has been the most insightful thing is that how, how thoughtful you are and how um, process-driven you are. You're a very thoughtful leader. And, um, and yeah, I don't think many leaders are that, that thoughtful. And to, I've, I've said this many times on the show in terms of you as uh, the consummate CEO. But to me, if I, if I try, if just having spent some time with you now over the, the last few months, um, to me, I understand far more now as to why that is. And that is there's a lot of thought into every move that you make. I've certainly learned a lot fr from you. I'm sure you've learned a lot from, from uh, this leader of South Africa. Thank you for being on the show and thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thanks for having me, Alon, and good luck to all your entrepreneurs. Well, that's it uh, for this slot today. Please stay tuned to find out what's coming up next. And the winners here have actually answered one of those real South African needs. This is the Big Small Business Show. Now the seventh edition of the MTN Business App of the Year Awards took place in October where the overall winner as well as the various category winners were announced. The overall winning app is called Kula and it also took top spot in the best agriculture solution category. We're now joined by Llewellyn Ramsagar, General Manager Enterprise Marketing at MTN Business as well as the development team behind the winning app called Kula. Welcome, gents. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having Thanks. us. Yes. Thank you. Well, let's start with you, Llewellyn. We've had you on the show before. We've spoken about the MTN app of the year. It's, seventh, it's the seventh, uh, seventh year. year. How's it grown? How's it been? How was this year? I wasn't there. This, I was invited. I didn't come. This year was actually amazing. Um, I think when I was last on, we spoke about how it's grown over the years um, from basically 50 entries in uh, in the first year. Mm. This year we had over 750 entries. Wow! The quality of entries has been absolutely amazing. Um, I think I touched touched briefly on 
some of the challenges facing South Africa, water security, food security, agriculture, and the winners here have actually answered one of those real South African needs. So this is, this is one of the apps that's really, really um, taken on a South African and a future global problem. And they've shown the innovation, like some of the other winners as well. Um, in terms of what we've seen, certainly lots and lots more innovation and starting to, to also touch on more of the physical world than, than we saw in the past. Yeah. It would sit on a mobile device. This is something that touches the physical world um, in a very real way. Because I think where, where apps were going, and I'm glad to hear this, was very much around this, the, everyone looking for the killer app, like, like for the social, for social, like a Facebook type of app. But these apps, that, and I'm glad something like this won, because these actually have an ability to actually really change people's lives uh, in South Africa and across the, the globe. Let's maybe come in here. We've got uh, Caridas Chincholo. Uh, you say you are the, you, you do everything at the, at the business, in the business, right? Yeah, I think we, we're quite a small team, so yeah. we do quite a lot across the business, yeah. And tell us about, Kula, tell us about the, the, the app. I think Kula is a solution to um, an African problem, um, the problem of um, basically emerging farmers not being connected to formal markets. Um, yeah. So Africa has about 60% of the world's arable land, yeah. um, and about half of uh, all small businesses on the African continent are actually agribusinesses, mm -hmm. and more than half of the population depends on small-scale agriculture for an income, yeah. yet we're importing about 40 billion US dollars of food into the continent every year. And that was a big pain point for us. We, uh, we wanted to understand why do we have a food problem when, when actually more than half of the population are actually um, into agriculture. Yes. And the big problem is that you have a whole lot of emerging farmers who are not connected directly to the formal markets. Therefore, yeah. they're unable to trade with a, a big supermarket because they can't supply large volumes. Um, one of the big reasons that they can't supply um, in large quantities. So what we've basically done is that we've built a crowdsourcing platform where we have one big farm um, online that consists of multiple emerging farms who supply together in order to service um, the formal market. And that all happens on the platform. We capture data um, on the platform. One of the big reasons why agriculture is failing in Africa is because the, 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 there's a huge data disconnect. No one really knows what these farmers have on the ground. No one really knows what their problems are. So we capture data that is consistent and the data that is live. Um, I think in the South African context, um, government sends out a whole lot of young people to go do surveys over a three-month period. They spend another three months capturing the data. By the time they get the data, they're actually making policy decisions on information that's actually outdated. In agriculture, what a farmer has on Monday is not what they have on Wednesday. Whereas on our platform, we track all of that information. Another big thing we solve is finance. A big reason why emerging farmers don't go into uh, the commercial side is because they don't have the access to finance. And the reason for that is that they don't have the fancy cash flow statement, the fancy income statement. So we keep track of all of that. We track how much our farmers make. And therefore, when an offtake opportunity comes along, we can bring in a bank and say, hey, look at Sierra Kana Farm. This is how much they're making. These are their revenues. This is how much land they have. Because we have a whole lot of farmers who have 100 hectares of land, but they're only farming one hectare. So on the platform, we put the farmer in a position where all he has to worry about is the quality of the product. We take care of the logistics. We take care of the, the financing. We take care of the big data. Sure, that's a lot it's for a lot. one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. So, so we're already halfway through and, and we, I want to include everyone else here. Um, Matthew uh, Piper, yes. uh, you, uh, first of all, what do you do in, in the business? What's, what's your role? 
Cool. So I'm very much uh, just like Caridas involved in, in everything, um, but I think mainly on the product development side, so the design of the app, um, the design of the different systems. Um, but I think, yeah, also jump in the truck and, and do business development, get clients for the business as well. Okay. And, and what the prize, the grand prize, what did you win? Cool. So we won a trip uh, to Silicon Valley um, wow. to the TechCrunch Disrupt uh, conference, which I think is happening next year. Um, so that's pretty awesome. I think we really want to put African tech, um, a really uh, authentic African technology on, on a global map yeah. um, and see what we can, can get out of that. J Jackson, I'm going to come to you now. Okay. Um, Jackson Jora. Yes. It sounds like you're all from different parts of the world. Yeah, okay. we are. How, how, where are you from? I'm from Zimbabwe. Where are you from? Uh, Peter Marisburg. Okay. <laughs> Good place. I went to varsity there. Where are you from? I'm from Ekangala in Pretoria. Okay. Yes. Uh, how did you all meet? Oh, it's, uh, it's a quite, a, quite a funny story. Eh? So uh, Matthew, I uh, met my brother who during a tutoring session. Then Matthew just floated the idea with my brother. Then my brother came to me since like I'm a coder and everything. And uh, that's how we actually met. And okay. uh, these guys, they actually met in Cape Town during varsity in okay. uh, the way at University of Cape Town. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so, so how are you going to make the most of this trip? I mean, you're going now to Silicon Valley, but you could just be observing. How are you going to actually <laughs> make contacts, make sure that you can get the, the best out of this? Hey, uh, we're just going to try our best eh, and uh, meet as many people as we can and uh, pitch the idea. Although, although we have an app that solves this, but we need to look at uh, how technology in Africa can be boosted by this so that uh, the, the outside world can actually see that tech in Africa is very possible. Mm. So, so Lewin, in terms of the prize, what, you're hearing what they're, trying, what they're getting at. What was your intention with the prize? What, what are you trying to... You could have given just cash. Very, very much aligned with, uh, with what's being said. It's, it's, it's actually more of an opportunity and an experience than anything else. And we hope that by going to the home of innovation in technology, which is what Silicon Valley currently is, will we'll allow cross-pollination on one hand, let some of that Valley DNA rub off, possibly opportunities for funding. It's, it's a lot more powerful than just giving cash. Because the cash, you can have a great campaign or you can advertise a little bit or um, for that matter just choose how you spend the money but mm. by creating that experience we believe that um, it, it actually amplifies the impact of, uh, of what's possible and I think from what we've seen with, with previous winners in other, uh, on other platforms it certainly uh, put them in good stead when they, when they return back to South Africa again like you say it's a showcase of what Africa can do and the theme for App of the Year this year was actually Wakanda, where mm. it's this hidden technological gem sitting in, in Africa. Mm -hmm. And I think we saw that with, with the winners of our IoT uh, conference and awards as mm. well. They were the hidden gem of Africa that got discovered um, in Silicon mm. Valley. So we're hoping for the well, same. Well, I'm glad you, I, I, I agree with you. I think I know other people who've been uh, on tours to Silicon Valley and they come back changed people. So I, I'll take my hat off to you. For, for not just giving the cash. I think the experience of it and the understanding of, of maybe a global picture is, is far more valuable than a couple of rand uh, cash. Maybe you don't think that right now, but you will <laughs> later. Just, uh, we've got two, one minute left, maybe 20 seconds each. Where do you see the, the future uh, of your business? Uh, all across Africa. We need, we need to help all Africans to sell their product and develop Africa in, in, with the farming vote. 
See, you see, we're after, uh, after you go to Silicon Valley, it'll be Southeast Asia, it'll be <laughs> South America, but that'll come later. <laughs> true, true. I mean, actually, we're going to Kenya in, in January. Mm -hmm. um, so we already are uh, planning to go into the continent. Um, we've been in chats with um, some guys in Brazil as well. Um, so we're really looking across the world, food security, emerging markets. Um, but I think it's important to, to get the product right um, mm -hmm. here in South Africa before we, we go out to the world. Who should be now? Be, I know you want to talk about the future, but who, if, if somebody's watching this right now, yeah. who should be contacting you to say, I want to know more, I want to get involved? Who should yeah, be? So I think we, we need more farmers on the platform. Right. And we need more clients um, on the platform as well. So we're open to new clients, new farmers, and logistics parties as well, because we've built an Uberized model where we allow other people to load their trucks on the platform and complete uh, our trips for us. So I think those people also funding partners. Um, so we self-funded fully at this okay. point, so we have not sold ourselves to a record label. We're going <laughs> platinum with no features. <laughs> so we, yeah, we, we, we're still self-funded, so we are, are in conversations for funding for the app. So fund um, the funders, moment. clients, farmers. Yes, and right. logistics as well. And logistics. Yes. We're going to have to leave it there, gentlemen. Well done to you all. Well done for giving a, a, a great opportunity to <coughs> South African talent. I think MTN is doing a great, great job. Thank you so much. Please stay tuned uh, to find out uh, my reflections on the entrepreneurial journey. Well, it's time for our reflections uh, for today. I'm uh, having my reflections with Kumar and Padiachi, who you are no stranger to. Today I want to talk about uh, crisis management and uh, the, the other week you spoke about uh, watching a TV series. I also watch TV from time to time and I watched one called Designated Survivor. And what struck me was this guy is the president and every week there seems to be some crisis that uh, the world's going to end or the US is going to have a dirty bomb explode or something really, really bad happen. And then he solves the problem in his stride and, and you know, then the next week it happens again. And I reflected on my journey as a, as a CEO of a business and, and if, you know, you can have two perspectives. You can either go, just another crisis, or you can say, well, this is my job. My job is to, these crises, crises will happen, like in every series. It might not be weekly. It might be two weeks and then two days and then two months in terms of its frequency. But my role is then to apply myself in that, bring my experience, bring my leadership to bear, bring my team to bear, to solve it. And then the next one happens. And mm. maybe that's just how life is as, as somebody who's running a business. Mm. And once I sort of accepted that, there was this, this release. And then all of a sudden, the next crisis came and I had such a different relationship with it, mm. where it was, okay, this is the problem for this mm. week and let me just deal with it. And it wasn't that, oh my God, woe is me. You're talking about your worldview around the issue or your philosophy. Mm. I, I agree with that. You know, some in companies they have sometimes a policy, and the policy gives certainty. In any situation, you apply that policy to that situation and it gets handled. So, as entrepreneurs, individuals, we need to have a certain philosophy, mm. and our philosophy around problems is affects how we react to it. So, if our philosophy is it's embedded in nature, it's one of the natural laws of the waves going up and down death and death and, 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 and birth and all that kind of stuff and positive and negative uh, force in the magnetic field, then it's philosophically, it's to be expected. But you, you have um, a slightly different attitude to how you solve problems where you go to the macro and then to the micro. Yes. It's not just about solving the problem there. Yeah. 
So if I see, if I think, uh, is this problem a once-off, or is it likely to be a systemic issue or recurrence? And then in thinking about solving that problem, rather than take the expedient view, I try and do the micro and the macro. In other words, how can I solve this now? And what can I put in place that if this thing happens again, how can we be more resilient against it or preventative around it, rather than simply curing it every time? So you've got to think of bo both lens, I think, you know? Well, that's it uh, for today's show. Until next time, from all of us, it's goodbye. And remember, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. Everywhere you go, MTN.